I love that song, you know, I'll seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. It was a prayer Anne and I prayed ages ago. And, you know, they say, be careful what you pray for. Well, in a sense, you know, be careful what you pray for, but it's okay what you pray for. He knows your heart. He knows the prayers before you even pray them. And he knows that I was praying tonight actually about something else. And I was saying, Lord, I thank you that you know the right answer to my prayer because it might actually be no, and that's for my benefit. And you know, and that praying for to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness was about the gold, the silver, the jewels being built in us, not building our lives on wood, hay and stubble because there's going to come a time when it'll be all tested with fire and we'll either stand there stark naked or stand there dressed in the garments that he's worked within us. You know, it says that he washes his bride with the word. That's why we need to be in the word. It's not just the ink on the page, but in him. Allow him to wash us, or wash and renew the mind. And so that becomes a powerful word. You know, it just again preparing for this. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to do the very best I can <laughs> to keep this to the notes, but I've gone right off them already. And and not not be Greg. <laughs> I won't keep you here till. Oh look, it's Tuesday. <laughs> you know, who is worth more honour? The building, the servant, or the builder? The building is being built. It is being built by the servants. Moses was called a servant. And Jesus, who builds the church? Christ does. Who's the builder? The son of God. Scripture tells us he's the one who's building. So he's worthy of all the honor. So what, what glory can the building take? I do it I make myself. He builds. So we must we must surrender to what he's doing. And that when we stand before my I've, I've, this is a conviction in my heart. I can't find you a chapter and verse for it, apart from the whole Bible, because he's working in you. You know? That's when we stand before him, what have I got to offer him? What is man that you are mindful of him? You know, it's referring actually to, to Jesus and that he sets the spirit in him and that he is God and that he becomes like us, sets, paves the way, shows us you can live a life as a man. You know, it wasn't until after resurrection that he was able to put his hand through that. Careful, that might break. On track, <laughs> you know. So, so he he did that, and then scripture, and then um, Greg was speaking to that. It says that he is not ashamed to call us brothers, so that we become sons, we become brothers with him, co-heirs with Christ. What is you couldn't read it like this? Like, what is mankind? What the hang is mankind that he is mindful of that? Look at that. I mean, look at them. For goodness' sake. When you look at um, uh, uh, Ephesians, it talks about the um, powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. It talks about the manifold wisdom of God being made manifest in us for a display to the ones that are looking down going, what the hang is that? Not only look at that, it's what is happening. He has become that. And not only that, I am so grateful 
to that he is faithful that he is faithful to his promises that what imagine if the holy spirit goes well i'm tired of this <laughs> i am worn out i mean 6000 years goodness me i'm coming home we got no hope okay but he is faithful the holy spirit so strong so firm so powerful so authoritative so humble I will not take glory upon myself. I direct it all to Jesus. And Jesus gives the glory to the Father, the Father, Son, of Holy Spirit. And they're looking and saying, my goodness, the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom is like the multicolored. It's like the, the rainbow. It's just everything is contained in that that's bursting out. The manifold wisdom of God is now displayed among his children. And that's the children that Jesus is not ashamed to call his brothers. Just think on that bit. The ones that have come into oneness. He's shown me that oneness. He's shown me what that looks like when those who have captured his heart and his spirit surrender their hearts and their lives to him and then find themselves in him, no longer competing with one another, no longer jealous no longer insecure, but knowing who they are and in whom they are. And so that then there's a beautiful work that's being done. Now that building that he's, he's building, I, I just, for me I like the analogy, you know, this bridge. How do we know it's a 50-ton bridge? Well, you drive a 50-ton truck over it. If it stays up, there you go. Now I think I'm a 50-ton bridge. And then the Lord allows a 30-ton truck to run over me. And I'll start buckling at the knees and saying, well, son, I knew you didn't. So there's work that's got to be done. Now, we th can think, hallelujah, I've got Jesus. <laughs> it's all good now. And in essence, it is. But there's a work that is done in us. It's not a, there's a gushiness that's done in us. <laughs> okay? It's our work. So when there's a work there's work to be done. And we find it through the, the struggles of life, the trials and tribulations of life. You don't have to go looking for them. There's enough of them just as they pop up. Okay? And they will reveal the work he is doing within you. Not to go, uh-huh, see, thought you were 50, you're only 30, I knew. Now you're crushed, just rubble, take that. And so that you can see, I put a 30 ton over you so that you would buckle so that you will know, because I want you to be a thousand-ton bridge. And I know what I'm going to do in you. Will you surrender to me? Because I can prop that up. I can change this. I can shift that. You can't. In fact, that bridge that you built, that wrecked. So in that, this is what he's doing. And I want to say this absolutely clear, just in case anybody hasn't got this yet. God has sent to us an apostle. I don't know that I can make it any clearer than that. For those that are listening, I just put my hand on Greg's shoulder. <laughs> God has sent us an apostle, and it is very important. It is very important that we get this. It doesn't mean that we have to race up and kiss Greg's feet. If you've got that mindset, it's a lie from Satan, and it's distracting you from what God is doing. 
because your focus now is on the man and not on God. He's got his ways of doing things, and he's laid it out. Man, it is hard to keep to the notes because there is so much that when you get your eyes open up, it's like, my God, Ephesians, Galatians, Philipp, Exodus, Genesis, my goodness, Revelation, it's, it's all here. You know, where do you, where do you start? Where do you start? You don't, because it all suddenly starts leaping off the page. And all I can do is, my God, why was I trying to do this? Why was I trying to do this? Because my eyes needed to be open. There's a way for this to happen. In, in the notes tonight, there's some key words that, that are there to, to think about that you'll end up writing. And there's apostle, there's sent, there's received, there's rejected, there's humility, there's appointed. They're key words to hang on to because if you hear those, you can posture yourself from the place and go, where am I with those key words? Again, we're thinking right back at the start, why? At some stage in your life, most people ask, why? There's a famous old song for those that are over 50. <laughs> What's it all about, Alfie? I won't sing it, I won't do it justice. <laughs> yeah, keep it on track, Paul. <laughs> Don't do it. God's plan. The reason? Oneness with God. Remember, if you haven't heard last week's, go back and listen to it. Now, I mentioned at the end of it, fortunately it wasn't recorded, it was really good. I felt the anointing on it. <laughs> Some might have thought it was the annoying. I felt it was the anointing. <laughs> but it was really key. It was a very, very significant point that Greg touched on. And I know some in this community, there was like a, just a power-packed bolt in them of confirmation of something that God was speaking to them during the week that was just so alive to them. And he touched on the, the intimacy with God. With a husband and wife, when the door's shut, the kids know you don't go in that room. For the husband and wife, there's an act of intimacy that is the only way that you can really truly express a oneness in a physical relationship. That's the intimacy that um, Jesus is referring to and he leads us into that he talks about the oneness of God. Paul speaks about in uh, the marriage, but I speak of the kingdom of Christ and the church. Oneness. When you, when you grasp that, he's not saying just oneness with another person. It's oneness with God. That is a step up for us. It's not a step down for him. So he's going to make us, when we surrender to him, to wash us, ready us, prepare us for his bride to be his equal, that we can be one with him. There's a oneness with God. The why he's, we go through all this, he's preparing his bride for that oneness. I want that oneness. I don't want to just sit at the wedding table. I want to be at the head with him. I want to surrender my heart. It's, it can be a scary thought, that, because I know what I'm opening my heart to, but when I know that I'm opening it to the one who loves me so much that he would die for me, what can I lose? The who he does it for, he does it for the church, or through the church. How, and here's the significance of why we're doing these evenings, he does it through the five-fold ministry. I will build my church. 
and we read through in the scriptures, he starts to talk about how he's going to do this. And we heard about how he gives these grace giftings. How can Greg take any honor on himself for a gift somebody gave him? A gift is freely given. What am I going to do? Oh, that sucks. I'll take your gift. Well, I, didn't, I wasn't given the gift, so it's not mine to take. It's his. Now, he can't go, woo check it out. He's got to graciously receive the gift that he's given. God knows, and we'll touch on this through the Scripture, prepared from advance for the time that he calls him to now to walk in the gift that he's placed on him. And believe me, that gift doesn't come without a cost because there's a work that is done in the apostle. Ephesians 4.1 Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is so important for us to understand this unity in the Spirit, the bond of peace, the humility that it takes to walk in that, because it will be a, a confrontation to my flesh, to my intellect, and to my understanding to have to surrender that, especially if I'm going to have to surrender that in a face-to-face account, encounter with another man, or woman, another person. Because now I'm confronting, if I'm not going to receive the, the apostle, I've got to check out whether I'm going to deal with the man or the person that's in front of me. And if it doesn't sit with what I understand, then I'm going to end up with this, this wrestling. So one of the character traits that we're going to look at for the apostle, a key character trait of the apostle is that of humility. I have been called with all humility. It cannot be done in pride or arrogance because it's nothing of the man. Key character trait of the apostle is humility. This trait along with the other with the others allows God to work through his sent one. The trait that we are implored when we read through Ephesians, when we read through Hebrews, he talks about I implore you. I, I mean it's not well, it's a good idea. Okay? It's probably a good idea to go down and watch the hurricanes because they're gonna win. So that'll be choice. Awesome. <laughs> that's a that's a nice two. This is something that he implores. I implore. This is Paul. I mean, if he turned up today and we're sitting, we know it's him, and he's saying, Church, I implore you, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You can have it, but you've got to follow this my way or Christ's way. I think we might tune in to hear what he's saying. That way, when we surrender ourselves to walking in this, this way, we're able to receive from those God places in our lives that he has sent to us. If we don't have humility, if we have pride, and hallelujah, (laughs) I'm talking about me. Pride is an ugly, ugly thing that will be dressed up to look pretty and it'll look holy and it'll look righteous and there's a word that's been used, pharisaical. And it denies the life that he's bringing. 
There are three significant apostles that I want to look at through the through word. Jesus, Moses, and Paul. And they all demonstrate the character trait of humility to us. So that's Jesus, Moses, and Paul all demonstrate this character trait of humility to us. Imagine that. Jesus, God himself, has to demonstrate humility. It blows me away. How can you not but weep with repentance and joy and love when you realize what he has done? Let's have a look in Hebrews 3, 1 to 2. I actually haven't got the question answer sheet, so I'm assuming it's written there. Yeah. Uh, or you might have your word with there. I'm going to turn to it. Hebrews 3, 1 to 2. Therefore, holy brothers. Don't you just love that? How do you like to be called holy brothers? Isn't that awesome? Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest from whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. If you carry on reading in there, it talks about the the house, the servant, and the son. But Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him. I mean, he, he had to let go. We read in Philippians 2, it says that, uh, and being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Why? Because they, he could see what this was all about, the bride and their oneness. And because of love, he is love, he didn't consider that equality as something he had to be grasped, be willing, let it go, because he is love. And the, what the faith, the hope that he sees in us was why he let that go, that we might be united with him. So here's a here's a posture of humility in Christ Himself. Philippians two, five to eight. Our attitude should be that the same as that of Christ Jesus, being very nature with uh, God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That always gets me. Read the next few lines. You've just he's just described what he's been made as nothing. By taking the very nature of servant being made in human likeness. So how can I really have any pride? How can I? In comparison to God, he makes himself nothing. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. And I love how those verses carry on to where he, is given a name that is above every other name because of his humility and his submission, is able to receive what he's let go of. When we look at this, note, when we look at this, it's a big full circle. When it starts with God, let us, right at the beginning, big circle, all the stuff that happens through history to the time through the millennial reign, right back when all things are summed up in Christ and surrendered back into one in God. And we're in that. 
Moses, Numbers, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, Numbers twelve three. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the earth at that time. There was a humility that had to be outworked in Moses. We know that Moses was a type and a picture of Jesus Christ, but there's something that had to work, outwork in his life and in his heart first. And we'll touch on this as we go through, but he becomes a picture for, for the children of Israel as well because what he is going through, they are going to have to go through. Again, for those that are listening, that's an analogy for what Greg has been going through. We must go through. We're not going to go through exactly his way, what he's done on him. It's individual. He knows the heart of every one of us. But it's, it's, the, it's the issue of the heart that God is dealing with. And you must go through his way. And the first starting point is a point of humility to be able to receive from him. Otherwise you'll filter out. Yeah, nah, yeah, nah, mostly nah. <laughs> Paul, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. Saul's name means asked for or inquired of God, but he changes his name to Paul. Drops an S, takes on a P. And Paul means small or humble. He could have taken on John or Zacharias or <laughs> some, some any other name. But I think he knew exactly what he was saying because he knew what he was. A Pharisee, puffed up, full of pride, doing things his way, full of zeal, thinking he was doing God's will. How's this? Check this out. <laughs> Slamming into the church, I'm doing God's will. So when it was revealed to him what this was all about, the mystery that was to be revealed, concealed in times past, now revealed and revealed to him by Christ himself, he realized the posture that he was in and what he had to do, that humbling that took place. That's why I believe he took on the name Paul. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. That's a posture of humility. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. That's a continuing, ongoing revelation. You know, I was talking with uh, with Anne just over the weekend. We were talking about, you know, how oh, it's easy to say. You know, the wor- and we heard a message this morning along these lines. You know, the world holds nothing. It has nothing. The world's got nothing for us. Yeah, until something gets taken away. <laughs> then you kind of find how much that nothing actually is something. And it's not to discourage you. Remember the 50-ton bridge? It's just so you know. And it's going to come through that, hum- that posture of humility and a place of surrender. But who would I surrender to? 
somebody I don't know or somebody I do know. That's why the discipleship is so important that we walk together and we all know each other. You'll know by the fruits, the kingdom of God outworking in a person. By those fruits, they will be revealed. In good times and in hard times, they will come out. The apple tree does not struggle. And by the way, as always my analogy, I found in Song of Songs a reference to the apple tree. (laughs) So it's totally scriptural. The apple tree... (laughs) does not struggle to produce an apple. It would a plum, but it doesn't struggle to produce fruit of its kind. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will be revealed in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and no matter what the condition. So that, that reference to, to what the world holds, until that is wanting to be uh, taken away or pushed on you, that reveals the posture that you're in. And when that does, it, it's a revelation to me, hang on a minute, am I an alien? I'm not talking about a three-foot green man with a big head. Same analogy. I am, am I an alien? Am I not from this world? Because if I am born again from the kingdom of heaven, a surrendered heart, a rebuilt life, built in him, knowing whose son I am, where I come from. That's what Jesus was able to say. I'm not from this kingdom. What are you going to do? In fact, the only power you've got is what my father gives you. So do your best. Because you've only got it because it's been given to you. If I decided to step in and click my finger, and thankfully I'm driven by love, so I know what's ahead of me. Remember the bride, the wedding. I know what's ahead of me. I'm going to walk this out. But because I know I'm not of this place, I could call now for legions of angels and they would take you out. But that time has not yet come. What he didn't tell Pilate was, buddy, it's coming. <laughs> but he was here for, for a place of love. So when I, when I realise I'm hanging on to this, I'm realise, realising, well, I'm, I'm actually not an alien. Not in this regards. So, Lord, do your work within me. I'm humble before you. I'll surrender before you. This is the work that I was talking about earlier on. He starts to work in me so that I'm no longer going to pry my hand off this, but because I know him. I know the one who loves me. Paul says, I know whom I've given my life to. So because I know him, I'm willingly freely able to let it go so it's okay lord because i know you i know your work in me is to build me that you're preparing me as your bride and i surrender to you so it's from this posture of you of humility that the apostle steps into his or her calling so the apostle called by god has to have this revelation built into them first. This is not a session about pumping Greg up. Okay, I've already figured out I can take him down. <laughs> okay, he's a big burly guy, but one swoop at the knees and he's out cold. <laughs> but I love this man. I love him dearly. 
I've grown to love him more and more and more as I've grown to know him, as I've grown to see the fruit of the kingdom of God displayed in his life in the pressure. Everybody can see fruit when it's a, it's a beautiful setting and a fruit bowl on a table and it's all lovely and glorious. Open all the doors in a hurricane and now let's see at the fruit, what the fruit looks like when it's under pressure. And that the true fruit, the true work of God can only be accomplished by God himself in the man who humbles himself and surrenders to him. Now, as I say, it's, this is not about pumping Greg up. It's not about how perfect Greg is. It's about God has sent that I can hear what he's doing. And having walked with him long enough to have seen and to uh, hear some of the trials of life and how he's surrendered to God and the work and the, the evidence of the fruit that comes through him have been a witness to me that's enabled me to actually humble myself both before God and before him to receive the word, not Greg's word, God's word. But I know that the apostle must go through this first. And the apostle now can step into his calling. It's very important for us to recognize the apostle as one sent to bring the message to those who are to hear and receive. If I don't recognize the apostle, I'm going to contend with the man and miss the message. Sound familiar? In the examples that we that I gave you before, there are three men who walked that out with people not recognizing the apostles sent before them, so they ended up contending with the man and missing the message. You know, in, in one sense, I'm ashamed to put my hand up and say, that's me. In another sense, I'll put my hand up and say, that was me. But I needed to hear from God to actually break that in order to be able to receive. And I believe it's a pathway that Greg went through. It's a pathway that I and the elders have gone through. It's a pathway that this church must go through. It's a pathway that his church must go through. In recognizing the apostle, we can place ourselves in the correct posture. He's already got the answer. (laughs) It's written in his heart. In recognizing the apostle, we can place ourselves in the correct posture to receive from the apostle. Do you know the, the, the frightening thing in this? If we don't recognize that person, then we miss the message. 
But not only that, we might become the ones that join with those that abuse, persecute, or even killed the apostles and the prophets. How crazy is this? That we would get put ourselves in the position where there's people who God is sending. You're not actually fighting the man. You're actually fighting God. That's a losing posture. So we may not physically kill the apostle or the prophet that God sends. Not today. Get arrested for that. But we can kill the message. It's really important to hear this. Yeah, you may be in a position where you can kill the message to yourself, and even worse, you might defile many around you and kill the message to them by speaking another word against the message the prophet, uh, the apostle, and the prophet is bringing. Because you don't understand it, you'll end up fighting against the man. And that, instead of being a humble posture to say, I'm not sure, can I walk this with you? Can I dialogue with you? Because I'm seeing something different, and if I'm wrong, I need to hear. If you're wrong, maybe you need to hear. So can we dialogue? Not, he sucks, did you hear that word he said? I mean, that's terrible. God, he's a puffed up sort of thing. So am I humble enough to recognize what's coming out of here? Remember Proverbs 18.21, words, words have the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If I'm going to speak a word of death about the apostle that's been sent, I'm going to eat the fruit of the word that I'm speaking. Where do you think that death's actually end up, going to end up coming? It's going to kill my, the fruit of my life. Not only that, two ears, one mouth, two ears to hear what comes out of the mouth. What comes out of the mouth? What's in the heart? So am I humble enough to say, Greg, if you heard Greg's message, I mean, what a puffed up, why would I be saying puffed up? That's revealing my heart. Maybe I need to stop this conversation and step back a peg or two and check out how I need to address what's in my heart. Maybe I need to go to the man and talk with him. Maybe I need to go to the man and talk to him to say, why would a word come out of my mouth that is not pure, righteous, holy, good? Meditate on these things because that's what's going to come out of your heart. There's a question for us. Don't, not asking you to answer it now, but what is the fruit of your lips? Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a pray a, a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Am I willing to recognise what comes out of my mouth? Matthew fifteen eighteen. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile 
the man. Jesus talking about them, worrying about their, you know, you polish the outside of the cup and you're not worrying about what's in the inside. Deal with what's on the inside. Once you've got that sorted out, you'll know how to have a clean cup. It's the stuff on the inside. Don't worry about the fact that you're eating this or eating that. Worry about what you're eating that's feeding this. You know, it says we're, we're to be transformed by the... How do, you, how do you get stuff into your mind? There are five, sense, five senses. Funnily enough, there's five giftings. There are five senses. Everything that we get into our brain is going to come through those five senses. Taste, touch, sight, hearing, smell. It's all going to feed information. Now he's talking about the inside of the cup and the renewing and the transforming of your mind. He's talking about, in a spiritual context here, that we're going to be metamorphosized by the renewing of our mind. So what we feed on, what we feed on the physical is going to build information in our mind. And he's saying there's a new and better way. It's a living way. You're going to have to come and eat me. You're going to have to feed your senses on me because that's how I'm going to transform your mind, renew your mind. You know, it's not about being some sort of weird brainwashing, but it's about the renewing of your mind. So what you feed on, the information you're going to take in, so be careful little eyes what you see, that's what's going to feed this. If you nibble at it, you'll get nibble growth. If you dine on it, you'll get full and full and full of growth. This does reveal what is in our hearts. Or what is in our heart. We can, with our words, the posture of our heart, kill the apostolic message God brings to you and to others. I don't want to be in that posture. Now we're not to confuse humility with passivity. We confuse humility with passivity. So we could think, well, the apostle is very humble, doesn't really want to rock the boat, can't really upset the apple cart. Hey, Second one, we can with our words, that's the posture of our heart, kill the apostolic message. Now the, the, uh, those three apostles that I spoke of, all three demonstrated that they can either, that they either can or did come with the rod. So the authority, the power of the apostolic word delivered by the humble servant comes not from the servant, but rather from the one who sent the servant. That's God. So if there's this, oh, well, I'm just, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and I won't upset the apple cart then we, we miss the power and the authority that comes. Now, it's that posture of humility that allows the apostle to enter into and step into that posture of the apostle and deliver a powerful word. Now, I don't know if anyone here has seen what I've witnessed, particularly in the last couple of months. 
but there has been a stepping into and a release of of power in words that is I have never seen messages spoken like that in thirty plus years of walking with the Lord. I've heard some amazing messages from some incredible speakers, but I've never heard a word being spoken with a dynamic power. I believe that is the power, the power of the gospel to change. It's not the words. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's contained in the words that have been used to to explain or to express the heart of God. That's why it's so important that we understand when the the way that he's building through the fivefold. Because the the apostle and the prophet must come first. The truly humble servant seeks not his own glory, but that of the Father. And the apostle is not self-appointed, but rather sent by God. Will we receive this word, or will we resist it? Hebrews three two we see that Moses was appointed. His appointing was not by Moses' choice. Moses was appointed. This appointing was not by Moses' choice. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. You know, when we look at some of those scriptures too, I, I just, again, I saw it for the first time. It says, you know, the very same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead Sorry, I just wanted to check the, that scripture there. But who raised Jesus Christ from dead? Another verse talks about that incredible power that raised Jesus Christ from dead. That power is the power that's working in us. It's not like a power. It's kind of working in me. <laughs> you know, this was an incredible power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If I remember correctly, there was an earthquake. A lot of shaking went on that raised Jesus Christ, that same power is at work in me. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, this is Paul. This is something that really gets me. I was arrested when I read that. Here's Paul, seeking in a, in a puffed-up pharisaical way to do the will of God, bang, 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 smashing on the, on the Christians of the time. And I love, what was Jesus' words to him when he struck him down with lightning or light? What did he say? Paul, Paul, why do you persecute? Who are you? I'm not persecuting you. I'm smacking the living daylights out of these Christians. Isn't that a beautiful picture of who Christ is now identified with? He says, you slap him, you're slapping me. I'm identified, I'm in him. Why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you fighting me? You think you're doing the right thing. Now, here's a, here's a cruncher. When was Paul chosen and set apart for the work that God was going to do through him? From before creation, set apart in my mother's womb. And here's another cruncher. God waits for his appointed time. Which one of the Christians who are now either in prison or about to be killed by Paul, not yet to come in to step into the apostolic calling, which 
he was about to be sent on, says, well, that's not fair. I'm in the waiting part. That's not fair. <laughs> You're going to take it up with God? I, was, I loved Johnny's message this morning. So it's when we recognize him, we're in fear or reverence of who he is and what he's doing, and when I know him, if I'm an alien to this world, well, I've already let it go. So I'm no longer held captive by what I'm facing because I already know from where I come and I know to whom I'm going. Acts 7.20, Moses' parents saw that he was no ordinary child. Again, Moses set apart at birth. They knew something was going on. Couldn't describe it. It was just something that's not ordinary about Moses. There was something that was evident regarding Moses right from his birth, even before his birth. Now we know in Acts 7.22 that records about Moses. Stephen's giving a, a, a message and it's just, it's just pouring out of his heart in front of the ones that I'm pretty sure Stephen probably knew what the outcome of this was going to be. So he just let rip and let him have it. Have it. <laughs> um, so he, he declares about Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Yet in Hebrews 11.25, Moses chooses to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time. Here's Moses in this place, in the, in the Pharaoh's courts, everything that he could have. But he knows there's something different between, about him, the Egyptians, and the Hebrews. So he chooses now to let go of what he has as pleasures. I mean, he could have whatever he wanted, and goes and joins with them. And I believe that that's the time when he's realising something is happening. And remember, he'd been working out at the gym. He was quite capable. Something is stirring, and he's thinking in his own mind that I'm going to be their answer. I am going to rescue them. Now we know that he is, but not the way he thinks. Something has to change. For he supposed, in Acts 7.25, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they didn't understand. Now they didn't understand. Who else didn't understand? That's why the work first needs to start in the apostle. So that the apostle can receive from God and then declare so that they can understand. They, that's a us and a me. The next day he's confronted by two Hebrews who knew that Moses had done what he had done the day before and their response to Moses is a very significant one because we can be in that same posture. They don't realise how prophetic this is actually being, I don't think. The men said, who made you ruler over us? Who do you think you are? Moses had to go through something before he could say, well, I'm a servant sent by God. 
Moses knew there was a need, but he didn't know God's pattern. God's revealed this apostolic pattern to Greg. And he's speaking it. And for those that are surrendering to hear that, are also hearing and having revealed this pattern, how God works, how he builds his church, why he's doing it, who he's doing it to, what the outcome is to be. Moses spends the next 40 years away from the very place he gained. I love this little sentence I wrote. That's great because I don't think I wrote it. From the very place he gained his strength and his knowledge, all his skills and abilities, to the point where that strength and power no longer held his heart. Forty years. Forty years in the making, 40 years in the breaking, 40 years in the taking. (laughs) uh, Moses passes through a uh, maturing that all Israel needed to go through, that of humbling, that they would not have a hardened heart towards God. He, in a sense, paves the way for his people to follow, as does the apostle today. They become a forerunner for the church the apostle becomes a forerunner for the church. When Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the Christ, he's not saying, do this. Got a Kawasaki, should have bought a Honda. Um, In Jesus' name you're healed. You know, what, whatever. Yeah, you know, well, Paul Paul drinks his drink in his left hand, so I must imitate Paul. He's talking about a posture of a humbled heart before God. Imitate me as I surrendered my heart to God, allowing God to build me, receive from Him, be filled with the gospel, Jesus Christ Himself, and stand up and live and receive. The very thing that's been revealed to me that I can speak to you is the mystery of God that's being revealed. Jesus Christ himself, the hope of glory in our hearts. There's something new that's taken place. Imitate that and you'll find your life will change. In that, the apostle, like Christ, is to be the demonstration of being a sacrificial, selfless servant set apart and sent, sacrificial. (laughs) By the way, these are your notes. If you want to spell sacrificial with a C and two silent Zs, who cares? You're reading it. It's to you, okay? Sacrificial, selfless, servant. set apart and sent, sacrificial, selfless, servant, set apart and sent. It's in the the previous notes. Sacrificial, selfless, servant, set apart and sent. We'll become this. We will be this. And, you, and you'll be able to put the words to it because you will realize I'm laying my life down for my brother and my sister. 
you will notice that you're set apart because you're doing it willingly. The church is to follow the example The church is to follow the same example and be apostolic. In the demonstration of these attributes as well. These things we just read out, that sacrificial, selfless, servant, set apart, sent, this is evidence of being an apostolic people. We don't do it to be evident. In doing it, it is evident. Moses had to stop in the desert and turn aside, turn off his path to see the burning bush. When he stopped, saw and turned and walked into, he encountered God. It could have been burning bush in the desert, happens now and then, bit weird, carrying on, and carried on, he would have missed it. God waited. He waited for him, gave him a sign, something that was unusual. Moses turned and walked into it. He's waiting for us to turn and walk to him, off of the path I'm on. To be able to hear. It's in that encounter that Moses reveals the new posture of his heart. Remember Moses? Working out at the gym. Very capable of speaking. Quite capable of killing a man. Taking him out. I'm the man. I'm going to save the children of Israel. I'm going to be the hero. Who am I? I can't speak. I've got nothing to offer. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly the point. And that's exactly what I want. I've got nothing to offer. Great. I'll fill you. And I will send you. Remember stuff, in fact, God tells them, those who are trying to kill you, they are all dead. But he would have known in his mind what he was going to go back to, because it wasn't, as we heard the other week, it's not predominantly he's going back to Pharaoh. He's going back to the people who said to him, who the hang are you? Who appointed you? It is much better when we come to the service and you stand up and you give us nice little platitudes, you talk about the beatitudes, you make a nice little picture about it, and you tell us, gentle Jesus, uh, meek and mild, it's all wonderful, bless you, put some money in the box, everything's great. Sing a few songs, awesome singing, awesome worship, pumped up, feeling really good, bang. Who the hang has scratched my car on the car park? For crying out loud. Oh, I mean, come on. It's a brand new car. Ah, if I find them, if I find them, yeah, I'm going to extend the right hand of fellowship and the left hand of encouragement. Or an apostolic message that says, bang, you cannot do this on yourself. It is not something that is pumped up in you. 
It comes from a surrendered and broken heart, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That is what the Lord seeks. And I will build my church, not you, and you will not be worried about the car. What happens when somebody breaks into your house and steals your golf clubs that you've spent 30 years saving up to buy, and then he gets caught? Well, what do you want, son? Do you want him in heaven or your golf clubs? I'm talking about personal experience here. I said, well, I don't care about the golf clubs. Till I have to go play golf. <laughs> I don't care about the golf clubs. Lord, I forgive him. I believe he will face justice and he'll face the punishment and everything that goes through, but I don't hold anything against him. I hope and pray that you will reveal yourself to him. It's a different posture and it's only done by the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. That's how the church becomes an example of the apostolic. So Moses steps into this, into this posture that, that God has now called him and released him into, that he now knows that he's walking in a power that's not him because he knows what the power of him was. He knows it was killing. Come on, get out, evangelize. Come on, get out and prophesy. Come on, somebody teach. Come on, somebody get on board with this. You're burnt out. Let's go to these guys. Haven't got them before. Come on, let's have an evangelistic team to do something. It's not of him. How about, come on, surrender your heart and love him. Cry out to know him. Because when you know him, you can't help but say, you can't help but, can I go serve at the fishing thing? You can't help but because the apple tree will produce an apple. Moses, it's in the notes back down there, Moses was a pointer, a type, a model, a prophetic picture of Christ who was to come. A pointer, a prophetic picture of Christ. He's an apostle, remember? Jesus Christ, our apostle and high priest. Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. If it's the, if it's the apostle speaking, if it's a word that's coming from God, an apostolic word that's speaking, I've got to do this. You shall listen to him. I'm not talking about Greg being Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the word, the apostolic word that's coming from God. You shall listen to him. Or you'll be in the posture of actually resisting to fight and your words will kill that message. Repent, therefore. And let me just say, repentance is not turning from. It's turning into if I know what I'm turning into, who I'm turning into, the love of God himself, that's why I want to come to know him, I repent from one form of sin into another form of sin. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be wiped away, that the Lord may grant you times of refreshment and send you the Messiah already appointed. This is way back before Christ even was, physically I mean, Christ existed before all times, already appointed for you. Moses had the message of salvation. If we look in Hebrews, it says that the, um, the gospel was preached to them. In fact, 
I really encourage you, there's reference in here about um, Hebrews 3 and 4, to read Hebrews 3 and 4 and meditate on it. Ask the Lord to speak to you because he's giving a warning. And he's referencing the fact that the gospel was preached to the children of Israel and they are a type and a picture for us to receive now. That's why we need to look and see what's happening there because that is a prophetic picture of our reality, our life now. They were to enter into the promised land. A, uh, the gospel, the good news was preached to them to get them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into the promise. The gospel has been given to us to bring us out of our form of Egypt, our own life, and into the promise. But the warning in Hebrews is that they, through lack of faith, they did not believe, they weren't able to enter into, what's in the promised land that they were to enter into? His rest. And he says it's for us to enter into the rest. We enter into him, into his rest. Him and me, and me and him. But if, like them, I'm not able to hear the gospel, I end up fighting the gospel. The very message is to bring me into freedom. That's why Paul's praying in the, the next line. He prays that, that we would have sight for our eyes, that blindness is cured, that we may come into the promise. Paul prays that our blindness is cured, that we may come into the promises of God. So those scriptures that are there, I'm going to just race through these now. Paul prays that our blindness... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, did I miss one? It takes an act of trust. Sorry. I'm just conscious of the time, so I'm trying trying not to do a Greg. <laughs> I tell you, man, when I was reading this... I have fought doing this for so long, but when I started doing this again, God started speaking to me about what he wants to do in me and through me. And as I was looking at this stuff, I said, Mike, where do I not look? (laughs) It takes an act of trust. Who's been hearing Greg speak about trust? Who does he say to trust? Put your trust in God. Now, trust me. Don't put your trust in me. Put your trust in in God. Now trust me, I'm telling you this, find that out, live your life, find it out that your trust is found in him and you'll be able to say trust me, put your trust in him it takes an act of of trust on the people's part to receive the message brought to them when Moses came to the people he didn't remember, he's changed he's not the same Moses that left them So he has had an encounter with God. So he knows what he knows. He knows who spoke to him at the burning bush. He knows that he didn't want to do this. He knows that God has sent him. So when he goes back and speaks to the people, Greg knows the encounter he has had with Jesus. He knows what Jesus has revealed to him. He knows the work that's been worked in him. And he knows, as those who have walked with him, that it has been tested with fire. It really has. And it comes out with gold and silver. And I'm going to say it again. This is not a puff Greg up. 
It's a mess. It's the word. It doesn't mean he's perfect. It doesn't mean everything all glossy. But it's, there's a work that has been done that has been made evident. And that I can trust in. And that has turned my eyes to Christ. That has turned my eyes and humbled my heart before the Father to receive from him gold and silver that's lifting my life like it never has before. So there's a trust. The children of Israel needed to trust Moses who was bringing them the gospel because he knows who he's encountered with. Something that God spoke to me this morning just in the message, and I thought this is amazing. Imagine if this was the message from God. I am going to take you into the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. What I'm going to do on the way is put you between Pharaoh's army and a, a sea where Pharaoh can wipe you all out. Okay, And you're all going to be scared and you're going to be, what the hang? Way? And he's going to say, well, then I'll part the sea and I'll take you through it and then we'll kill the Egyptian army. But then, then, check this out. This will be cool. I'm going to take you into the desert where there's no food and there's no water and you're all going to feel like you're dying of thirst. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't. He knew that was what was going to happen. But he's giving them the hope. Remember the, right at the start, there's a work to be done in our hearts because it's going to expose our hearts so that we can say, Lord, I'm in fear. There's a, a, an ocean and there's an army. I'm in fear. Great. Let me deal with that fear in you because I'm going to show you my mighty hand so that you can trust me when you get into the promised land because there's still more work yet to be done because I'm forming something in you that you'll know it's not you, it's me. I'm actually not going to wipe out all the people and all the um, towns and cities that you're actually going to inherit. You're going to actually walk through that, but I'm going to display my glory to you. I'm going to display my strength to you so you will know it's me. When you get into the desert, I've seen a picture of what they reckon the rock was, and it is amazing. It's a massive big rock that's, that's cleaved in two like this. And it always amazes me. You know, there's, They reckon there's anywhere up to three million people that came out, plus herds, you know, sheep, goats, all the rest of it. That's a lot of drinking to take place. When that rock opened up, it didn't trickle out. Streams of life-giving water poured out to feed the thirsty masses. Hear what I'm saying? Comes out of Christ, our rock. They had to trust him to receive that. God is so faithful to us. We just sung it. Will I know him? Will I trust him? If faithful all your promises are yes and amen, as I'm facing these things, I know you're my answer. I know you're at work and I can willingly let go because there's something that's much greater. It just drops straight down to the bottom of the page. Oh, it is on mine. I don't know where it is on yours. God knows the potential of our heart, our state, is no surprise to him, only to us. Blindness is cured, that we may come into the promises of God. Have I got them all? Yeah. 
So God has, however, now provided for us the answer. Now I've jumped something, so I'll go back to that. He has provided for us the answer, a new heart, a heart of flesh, not of stone. One on which he writes his law of love and his way of coming into his rest. He has, however, now provided for us the answer, a new heart, a heart of flesh, not of stone, one on which he writes his law of love, his way of coming into his rest. What I jump through, and I'm not sure if it's on your notes here, but between the Ephesians and Romans, is that we now have the encounter of Moses, and he pronounces the curses over Egypt and leads the children of Israel to the promised land. But throughout this time, we encounter the people's hardness of heart, their stubborn refusal to listen to the words of faith, and the leading from the man sent to them to bring them into the promised rest of God. We see their grumbling, their rejection, and they're turning aside to gods of their own making. God, however, is so patient with them. We don't want to be those people. In fact, Paul is urging us not to be those people. God is warning us not to be those people. To hear that message that's to lead us through the man that's using that, that, or the gifting that's been given to him, the apostolic word that is a power-breaking word to break through the mindsets that we have set in place to come into his way of doing these things, that we might now enter his rest and be built up in our most holy faith, God's way. There's the next one with the gaps. The gift to us of the apostle is to lead us into God's ways. The apostle comes with the power and authority of the message, not of themselves, but of God. So the gift of the apostle is to lead us into God's ways. The apostle comes with the power and authority of the message, not of themselves, but of God. The word brought by the apostle is often a penetrating word, a penetrating word that comes with the power to smash down the walls of falsehood and old mindsets. Joshua having learnt as he walked with Moses, had to have that same outworking in his own life because he was to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And if you heard one of my messages several years back, it was about confronting the walls of Jericho as the typology of us entering into this promised land and the first mighty wall that must come down is the wall of pride. That's the place of humility. And it's not false humility, it's biblical humility. It's some work that God does inside you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that you're bowed before him. And when those walls come down, you're able to enter into the promise 
all his promises and start receiving from him. Why was it that on the Mount Transfiguration, Jesus stood with Moses and Elijah? Or Moses and Elijah. Don't know who was on which side. <clears throat> we read that this message that was being given through Paul, the mystery of God being revealed, was given first that's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. With him on the mount is the prophet, or is the apostle Moses and the prophet Elijah and the chief cornerstone, Christ himself. And what was being a revelation of how this is about to be worked out. It is the foundation. There's no other foundation that we can build on other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This has been revealed to the apostle and to the prophets. It's on that foundation that the apostle and the prophets are able to lay down the foundation that the other fivefold giftings are able to step into. They can't be built on a foundation that's not been set in order. You can't build on the foundation of the evangelist. However power-packed and hyped up they are and able to get people saved, they're not built on the foundation of the evangelist or the teacher or the cuddling pastor. When they have received the message, the apostolic, the prophetic message that is spoken into them, they too can receive the power of this apostolic calling and pastor from an apostolic position, of evangelize from an apostolic position of teach from an apostolic posture because it's formed in them and it's built, laid out his way. That's why that foundation must be laid first. That's why it's taken eight years chipping away, building, building, building. And that doesn't mean, whoop, it's all done. Remember, the house has to be built. So there's a work that now takes place in our lives as we outwalk in this correct order, the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, all being put in order, all by the Spirit of God, all working to prepare us to be his bride for an eternity with him as oneness with him. I hope you can hear what God is doing in our community. It's by his call, it's by his choice, it's his way. Are you ready to receive the apostle that God has sent to us? Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to hear your word, not the message of a man, but your word, that we may be built by you and become, Lord, that church that expresses the manifold wisdom of God the very thing that you want and call and desire for us to be, that we can be an expression of your love and who you are. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. You know, it's interesting that we've each time wanted to have questions but I don't sense that's what to do I just sense we're not to have this tonight again and just to go and just if you have questions take it upward um, 
and and yeah, because I think it'll just somehow dilute what we've heard a little bit, and sometimes we can put our opinions in there, and all of a sudden the message you've heard just gets diluted because it's a man's opinion starts to get in and spoil. So I don't I don't want to do that. I don't sense God saying let's not do that. So we're going to end it there, um, but I would encourage you to take your questions if you have them to the one who can answer them the best, which is Him. Um, and I just want to encourage you, I, I don't know, for me, I'll just speak personally, it's such a clarity to what is being declared. And it's so profoundly big. Like this morning, it was clear, crystal clear. And so I'd encourage you, if it's not crystal clear, then take it to him and ask him to make it crystal you know, Jesus said, you know, blessed are you for your eyes see and your ears hear. And in the next breath, he said, do you still not hear? And he said, the reason why you don't understand is because you can't hear the word. So they're in this catch 22 where they're hearing, but then they can't hear. And it's the work of the spirit. You know, it's like I hear, but I can't. So there's this hearing and you're constantly going to be hearing and seeing more and more and more. And it's, but there's a real clarity. And I just say that to encourage. Um, I hope it encourages. And uh, it stirs you, if it's not clear, to go to him. Um, you know, on the revelation of the Christ, I build a church, and the gates of Hades don't overpower. That's how absolute the truth is. Okay, so the gates of Hades are the flesh. So your flesh doesn't get in the way of you, and the enemy doesn't get in the way of you. So although he's like a lion and he jumps all over the place, you just laugh at him, put him in his place, and keep walking. Because what's in you is greater than what's in the world. So it says Christ in you is greater than what's coming at you. Because why? Because I'm being built by Christ. Okay? And the last thing is an apostolic church is not a name. Okay? There are churches called the Apostolic Church. We're not that. It's nothing to do with a name. It's a heartbeat and a mindset. And it's the reality of the apostolic. It's the actualization of truth. It's the tangible expression of the reality. When Jesus said, I've come to set you free, he does. Okay. It's not this wishy-washy maybe. It's not like you're sort of saved, half saved, it's you're saved. Okay, so it's the fullness of what the truth does to propel you, boom, and then you live. Okay, so those are just the things. But um, keep eating, dialogue, drink. It's it's a big thing. It's a big word. Scratching your head. <laughs> All right, have a great night. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>